to help support this podcast and get exclusive bonus content and rewards, make a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash universe box. And, and remember, remember to, to think, think outside. outside. Do, Do not, not adjust, adjust your computer, computer screen. screen. It's your, your mind we're changing. Stories set to a theme. Think outside. Universe Box.
From the heavens to your ears, this is Universe Box, and you're a lot smaller than my last master. Either that or I'm getting bigger. Look at me from the side. Do I look different to you? I'm Bill Meeks. And I'm Anne-Marie Simone, And we're here to talk about something amazing tonight. If you didn't guess... You may have caught on a little bit. Yeah, maybe a little bit. There might have been a few indications up there up top, but we're talking about the uh, Disney Renaissance. The Disney Renaissance. It's very excited, very excited. So, Anne-Marie, why don't we show them what we have in the box this okay, week? Okay, let me move Bell. Okay, yeah, because you do have Bell there. I right? have a lot of props tonight. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. turn. Oh, and we forgot to warn. We didn't your warm my up. mic or uh, my camera up. It really wants to take its time. Okay. Oh, there we go. There, there I am. we go. And there's Hi. Bell. And Bell's <laughs> had a rough life. Yeah, a little bit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you guys don't know what we're referencing, uh, you can you can uh, check us out uh, live every Thursday night at eight thirty p.m. EST at YouTube.universebox.com where we record the show. But uh, this week uh, we're going to be looking into the box. Okay. And this week we're talking Disney. Yes. Uh, this week we're talking the Disney Renaissance. Uh, we'll pop open the memory box to see Rebecca's trip to Disney World. Then we'll look into the Wonder Box to compare versions of The Little Mermaid. Next we'll pull out some uh, questions you guys submitted through the idea box. And finally we'll call uh, David Crow from Den of Geek in the phone box to hear the true behind the scenes story of the Disney Renaissance. It's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. I hope the music doesn't start. Cool. <laughs> we're off to a good start. Woo-hoo! No. But uh, I, I'm very excited to uh, make the, this uh, this whole episode part of our world, and I, I'm glad people are in the chat <laughs> there as is our guests. Be so many puns tonight. We're going to be so punny. <laughs> Rumple is always wearing a dress, Patty. He just yes. has to deal with it. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and uh, he's wearing mouse ears today too, which is fun for sure. Okay, well, first off, uh, we're going to go ahead and open up the memory box. And uh, Rebecca, if you guys don't know, she's kind of become a she's regular. She's become now. a regular, yes. Uh, but she went to Disney World a couple weeks ago, so she cut together a nice uh, little uh, video of her trip and uh, some some characters from the Disney Renaissance period, too, which is fun. Uh, which, uh, you know, we didn't define that. Oh, no, we didn't define. Let's define. From Ariel and the Little Mermaid in 1989 mm-hmm. through Mulan. Yeah, Mulan, Pocahontas. Mo- uh, no, Mul- Pocahontas is like... Yeah, yeah, Mu- yeah around Mulan. Mulan, uh, like 98, roughly. roughly. So, so, yeah, that's the period we're working with. But we'll go ahead and uh, play Rebecca's uh, video, and then we'll be right back to talk Little Mermaid. When I recently took a trip to Disney World with my friend Monica, I found out that no matter how old you are, Disney can turn you into a kid again. Okay, so what did we do today? We saw a really cool show with Mickey and Minnie and Donald and Goofy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the party! Hi, Mickey! What's the surprise? A surprise? Well, you see, I invited some very special guests to today's castle party. Princesses and... Alexa came up, stirred up some trouble. Yeah, yeah. No one truly believes in dreams any longer, which is why it's a perfect time for me to return to Dreams is a very little consequence. 
And then we went from there to the Festival of the Lion King that does all the Lion King songs and they do a little bit of dancing, some acrobatics, and they have all the animals. And we were in the elephant section. Roll five. Do the motions and the noise. From there to do a little drawing. We did some drawing. We drew what character did we draw? Buzz Lightyear. That was pretty cool. I think your buzz was a little better than my buzz, but it was still pretty fun. They're both pretty cool buzzes. Still pretty good. Twenty buzzes. minutes isn't bad. Yeah. Considering. For people who don't draw characters at all, we did all right. Actually, pretty awesome. It was pretty good. It was a good thing because we went back later. Yes. We, Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We also drew a ticker. <laughs> Because we had so much fun doing the, the buzz. Which is really cool. Yeah. Because it definitely looks like Tigger. <laughs> really all the shading does. and all those things. You yeah. just draw the heads of them, but it's enough you know who they are. And then we also did Beauty and the Beast, which was actually pretty fun. It was good. I like that show. I forgot how many songs there were in the movie, aside from... It is a musical. A Tale as Old as Time, Beauty and the Beast. Yes, and thank you very much, Rebecca. That was thank a, you a so much. Super fun video. Hey, you didn't make me cry this week. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's in the chat room or not. She's, <laughs> I haven't seen her yet. But, but, she, but we've got a party in there. You you could still – yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see that. There's uh, a, a lot. of activity. Angel, Amy, Wynn, Excellent. I'm glad to see all of you Scotty's guys Scotty's holding for sure. down for the males. <laughs> That's all we got. No Thor this Excellent. week. No Thor? Not yet. He'll <sighs> show up. That's a shame. Okay, well, I guess we'll go ahead and get into our next box. So what's our next box, Anne-Marie? Our next box. Oh, yay. Hold on. Scrolling, scrolling. <laughs> it is the, the dun, 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 dun. Wonder Box. That turned yes. out beautifully. Uh, now it's time to find out if we'll rediscover the wonder we felt uh, from our favorite movies and TV shows in the Wonder Box. And uh, this week, uh, let's go under the sea and talk a little bit of a uh, Little Mermaid. <clears throat> okay. Under the sea. You've got me nervous. Under the one. sea. You've got me nervous. Do I for the, for the rhyming summary this week? You mean because you told me I have to sing? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, every movie we're talking about this week is a musical, so I figured. I know. You don't like to sing. Um, I like to sing. I'm not good at it. <laughs> okay. And I could admit fair that. Enough. So fair – spoiler warning. I'm yeah. a bad singer. As long as the listeners understand that, I think they know. I think we'll okay, be okay. Ready? Okay. Look at this girl. Isn't she sad? She's having boundary issues with dad. Funny when you're an adult. She seems like a brat. She's grown up but can't see the danger. She manipulates animal friends. Who's that guy that she loves? He's a stranger. Does she care? Dad knows best. Guess it depends. A witch gives her aid, takes her voice in the trade. It's the Little Mermaid. <laughs> yes, we're talking the Little Mermaid. And we're actually going to do uh, things. Oh, Bobby's here. <laughs> Excellent. Hi, Thor. Uh, no, but we're actually going to do things a little bit differently this week than we have with the Wonder Box. Because 
if you didn't know, The Little Mermaid, uh, based on a tale by uh, Hans Christian Andersen, I'll have to switch back to the wide shot for people to see here. Uh, yes, uh, which we have the classic here. And so we figured what we'd do is we'd go ahead and we'd watch the movie. We'd also compare it to the uh, original story and kind of suss it out and see, see how we felt about it. Excuse me. Let me fix my hair with my dingle hopper. <laughs> Where did you learn how to do that? Yes. In the movie. In the, In the movie. Okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started talking about it. Now, the first thing that kind of struck me about this movie is, well, you know, thinking back on it, because it's been years and years and years since I actually sat down and seriously watched this movie. Yeah, is that Eric, uh, Prince Eric, always seemed as kind of just like a blank kind of template to me. Like, it was pretty blank. I I think it might have have something to do with the fact that uh, I I always thought uh, the way they drew him looks a lot like... Aladdin <laughs> so well it would be the other way around but yeah 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 but it, you know so so he see he always <laughs> felt kind of generic to me but he actually kind of had some interesting stuff going on and him and Ariel uh particularly they, they had a bit more uh pulling them together than I I think I initially thought because uh you know both of them are being pulled in directions that they don't want to go by the people who are in charge of them I you know uh for example Prince Eric doesn't want to get married unless he finds the right one uh, which before he seems Ariel, it seems more like he's trying to put off uh, the guy who's in charge. Yeah. I forget the character's name. Uh, basically, it's his Alfred. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, trying trying to put him off instead of seriously wanting to, uh, you know, find a queen or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to kick it down the road. Uh, and, uh, we never meet Eric's parents, no, do we? The no king and the queen. Them. So I'm, I'm I'm guessing he's probably been orphaned. I would assume at some point. It seems like everybody gets at least partially orphaned. Which is another thing he has in common with Ariel, because Ariel doesn't have a mother. So, or her, her, or her sisters. It's a Disney movie. Yeah, they have to be missing at least one parent. Yeah, Disney movies and superheroes, which I guess Disney owns Marvel now, so it makes sense. Synergy, synergy. It fits the Disney <laughs> template. Uh, but then, you know, uh, Ariel is intellectually curious about man's world and wants to study it, but she's not allowed to. Correct. And I also thought it was interesting that uh, King Triton was anxious for her to get married as well when he thought that she had fallen in love with a, a merman. Right. I, I, I guess even uh, under undersea gods want grandkids someday. <laughs> you know. nice. But. You know, and even though, you know, they, the reasons they fell for each other were really superficial. She thought he was cute. She saved him. So he felt mm-hmm. like indebted to her and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think they actually have a lot of common ground to start from in this relationship once they get past the whole, you know, Ursula thing. And uh, I, I don't know. Royalty can smell royalty, I guess. They always seem to, at mm-hmm. least. Or they can smell uh, aristocracy. It, it all sort of fits together. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought that was really weird that Triton also thought that he uh, was trying to marry her off mm-hmm. right away. But I think it's because she was the cute one. <laughs> like, they were already making a big deal. The sisters already were like, eh, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, he thought he'd, you know, maybe that would push the other ones out. Maybe. Well, they were they were a bit nasty anyway, and we'll get, we'll get to nasty. that. You thought they were nasty? I, I thought that they were a little they, – they had some attitude to them. Like, like they, so, they were the good daughters where Ariel was the rebel, you know, and they, they were, oh, dead father, you know. Oh, okay. But uh, well, we'll get into it. But the uh, the sisters from the original version are way worse <laughs> than the yeah. than the sisters from this version. Okay, so this could be just Anne Marie overthinking the entire thing and needing to shut up and deal with the fact that it's a Disney movie. But now that I'm an adult, things are different. <laughs> um, there is no breathing, functioning transition between being underwater and above water for anyone, even the fish. Mm-hmm. That bothers me. Oh yeah, and like Fl- Flounder just hangs out above water. He's all just the hanging time. out. I'm like, you are a fish. 
Mm-hmm. These women and men are partial fish. I feel like there should be a time limit to how long you can be above water mm-hmm. without having to dip down to well breathe. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of weird because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they're meant to live below the water, not necessarily above. Yeah, the kind, kind of the internal rules of this world are a little uh, janky that way. For a, Another good example is the fact that uh, well, Prince Eric can understand uh, Sebastian, but no, no other human can except like Ariel can and then Prince Eric can. And it's like – how did he understand it exactly like what is the cutoff line mm-hmm. for what humans can understand and that was really weird yeah or like the crabs and the fishes speaking in english they also, like well, and also the whole um some fish and creatures are like pets and animals mm-hmm. where some are well the right hand man yeah so that's really weird like you know he's riding in mm-hmm. on a guppy or whatever and <laughs> but he's a crab like how does this i also thought it was really weird anytime and it wasn't just uh sea animals or sea creatures but it was like birds and stuff too during kiss the girl like anytime sebastian like commanded all the creatures around him to perform and sing you know Big choreographed number, no problems. Like, we, why? And also, I believe uh, uh, the seagull, uh, shuttle, shuttle, scuttle. Uh, when he he brought all those birds and stuff to the boat to mm-hmm. stop the wedding, mm-hmm. it, like, yeah, they all just obeyed him, no problem. I guess Ariel's friends, uh, all animals know to obey them. I guess. Yeah, it was really weird. Mm-hmm. Was there something in the chat room? Yeah, they're all telling me I'm being stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the angels like uh, I've learned not to apply logic to animated stuff. It makes things easier. Patty said she's holding her breath. Amy said you're looking too closely. And Hope's like, that's your adult bothering thing? Mine was going, this girl is 16 and wanting to run off with a guy. <laughs> but daddy, well, I love di- him. Different yes. times. Different times. People live to be like 17. So <laughs> that'd get married. But daddy, I love him. Me. Shut up, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, probably, yeah, probably overthinking it. I know, but it just – the fact that there was no transition bothered me. Mm-hmm, so anyway, mm-hmm. go ahead. Okay, uh, so uh, Triton, uh, King Triton in the, this uh, really – I you know, I, I always thought back to him as being, you know, just his father looking out for the best interest of his daughter and everything. But he, he really uh, kind of struck me as a jerk. <laughs> uh in, in this version or this time mm-hmm. this watch through uh first of all uh when he finds out that uh the guy that she's fallen for is a human and he uses the trident to just wreck all of her stuff like that's like a if not like a godlike power like one of the biggest uh power uh, magical items in the sea yeah. striking uh, striking out in anger against your 16 year old daughter with that Seems a little. I mean, you could have. You could have over the top, maybe. You could have smacked the plates off of the shelf. You didn't have to use your all powerful trident with the trident, but you didn't have to like zap them. Yeah, the the trident seemed a little bit of overcool. And I also uh, thought thought that it was funny that you know the fact that he was very excited when he thought that Ariel had found a merman uh, mm-hmm. shows that he isn't overprotective of her or anything. Like he's not you know that that stereotypical dad with the shotgun on the front porch or something. He's just xenophobic. He, he's very anti man's <laughs> world. I, and I also thought uh, speaking of xenophobia and it, Triton's concerns with the world of man, I, I thought it was interesting. You know. When it, I was younger, it just struck me as, as a really funny song, kind of a slapsticky action number. The the song with the chef, uh, it was Sebastian and everything. But it's actually a really good demonstration of Triton's fears about man's world. And I, I, I almost uh, thought it, thought it was a shame that Ariel didn't get some sort of whiff of that whole situation happening because it might have helped her understand her father's side a little bit more. But, uh, you know, that song, though, it wasn't as entertaining to uh, me 
as it was when I was a kid. Oh, go ahead. Pause. Angel pointed out that in one of the prequels, he ended up losing his wife because of the humans. So he's kind of a jerk, but best of intentions. Oh, so that justifies. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and all the sequels take place before this movie. No, they don't always because one of them is with Ariel and her daughter. Oh, okay. So So there is an actual The Littler Mermaid, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) the Littlest Mermaid. But uh, no, the song with the chef, it wasn't quite as entertaining to me as it was when I was a kid just because it, it felt like really slapsticky like looney tunes or tom and jerry which is not something that i i remember being in the movie and not something i necessarily associate with disney i mean there sometimes there's little moments of that but this was like a whole big three or four minute sequence right that was just you know slapsticky you know throwing they him were into transitioning. the fire yeah they were yeah, just trying definitely. to find that audience yeah and i mean it's not really a complaint it's just uh where i really loved that number yeah. uh when i watched it when i was a kid i didn't love it so much now and I also thought it was interesting that he could transform transform mer people into real people the whole time, and he he didn't. Uh, <laughs> and he just didn't. Well, I'm th- like uh, obviously uh, Angel has some uh, insight from the prequels, but uh, I, I was thinking maybe he just forbids people from interacting with Man's World because he doesn't want to have to be the guy standing there with the trident transforming people back and forth <laughs> as they travel. <laughs> You know, that's true. It, it also kind of made me think, though. Like, I wonder if he'll he'll either turn Eric into a merman or turn himself into a human to like go back and forth and visit. You know, after but it this. might not be a back and forth thing. Yeah. It might be like he can change you, but he can only change you once. Like change you one direction one time. Yeah, which, which would also which would cause problems because mm-hmm. now one of them has been changed. Yeah, that that would uh, that would also indicate to me that Ursula is actually more powerful than he is. Which I I don't know. I like I I was kind of a little. bit bit off on their power levels anyway i wasn't sure who was more powerful than who what do you think say i'm sorry i was reading something oh no it's cool it's cool. <laughs> i was listening but not enough to answer <laughs> yeah no I, I i was saying uh i i i'm kind of curious as to who, who do you think's more powerful trident or triton, triton or triton. uh ursula triton triton mm-hmm. like then he why- didn't need to mix things up he he kind of uh kind of caved on the whole uh thing with the you know, giving himself up for Ariel, Ariel's sake, though, like, what kind of world was he leaving to her, to, you know, to not be one of those weird, wraithy plant things <laughs> in Ursula's cave, you know, because Ursula, was, was... Ursula was going to be in charge of everyone. And obviously she'd, and I mean, almost immediate, she's like, I don't care about the deal. I, I'm about to kill you. And then things happen and things progress. So quickly. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had one thing written down here, but I'm just going to not do that. I'm going to do something else. <laughs> That's fair. Um, it was so quick. So this was like my first movie in a theater that I remember being a movie in a theater. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was really long. And I feel like each scene took so long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was a really big, cool thing. Like where they break up the wedding. Yeah. I felt that like that was a 10 minute long thing. We watched it today and i was like it's over yeah what just, what just happened there mm-hmm. where yeah. did it all go yeah it's like you get you get uh, up to poor unfortunate souls mm-hmm. and then it's just like over and yes. done. yeah like and the end seat not the end scene the whole ursula being gigantic and everything mm-hmm. i remember being terrified yeah and i was like okay this is still dark and well liza was watching with us and she's like <laughs> This is the bad, scary part. I was like, okay, still reads that way. Good to know. <laughs> like, yeah. the five-year-old still sees it that way where the 31-year-old doesn't. I, I remember that whole gigantic Ursula scene being just like a complete, like, what the heck moment when I was a I kid, too. I was terrified. Too, like. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff, though. Uh, okay, so I guess we'll go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about the movie. In conspe- oh, is there anything from the chat room? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, they want myths, and I don't know how to pronounce cryptozoology or cryptozoology. Cryptozoology. Oh, uh, they're suggesting it for a week, and then somebody else told them to submit it to the idea box. They're, they're telling <laughs> Harry Potter. Okay. Oops, sorry. Excellent. Okay, uh, so uh, one of the main uh, things that struck out to me as a different – or kind of comparing the movie with the book version was Ariel's sisters. I, uh, she's not called Ariel in the story. but uh, No, she's just the Little Mermaid. Yeah, she's just the Little Mermaid. But I, I thought it was interesting because they have, they have a song that they sing together by spinning around in a circle in the book and everything. Uh, yeah. And uh, but it, it it's not exactly how it was here, where it's like a big show for the kingdom. They were basically they were singing to ships lost at sea mm-hmm. to uh, kind of trick them into like following them and then falling out of the boat and dying. And they they would like follow the soldiers down as yes. they died, and it was really creepy. And it was really- Again, Ariel was a no-show for the song, but it wasn't because she was busy trying to find a Denglehopper in a sunken ship or whatever. It was because it creeped her out, and she didn't want to. <laughs> she didn't want to watch us uh, humans die on their way yeah, down I mean, to the to the Sea King's die. kingdom. Right. Um, yeah, I also uh, thought it was interesting that in this they go through the progression of the sisters in the story about everyone's waiting for that day. I think I think when they turned fifteen, mm-hmm. it was in the story where they get to go and see. Man world for the first time and everything and i thought it was interesting that you know so everybody gets to do it everyone has this desire that ariel is the only mermaid who has in the movie who has this in the movie but once they see it once they get up there and they get to see man's world uh they they get one cool story and they're like yeah i'm over it they're yeah hipster mermaid yes Yes, exactly. Hipster mermaid. Yes. So, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, I also thought it was interesting that in the, in the book, her sisters actually give her a knife to kill the prince with. Well, that's because they want her back. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, – I mean I kind of see your comparison that you're going to throw out here in a second. But in a sense, I think it's very sweet because they gave up their hair to the sea witch so that mm-hmm. they could get this knife to have some chance to save their sister. Yeah, it, it – But it, the – it was in her own hands, and obviously that wasn't happening. But. Yeah, and uh, so, so like where Ariel's sisters in the movie kind of reminded me of like Mean Girls, like the Lindsay Lohan movie. Uh, the the version of her sisters from the book reminded me a little bit of Heather's because I mean, even in Heather's, uh, they cared for each other, but they eventually killed each other anyway. If you've never seen the eighties movie, spoiler movies, Heather's, uh, it's awesome. You should watch it. <laughs> yes, I should. I guess at some point. I've never seen Heather's. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I know the premise. Okay, so I love how in the book there's the grandma character Mm -hmm. because i feel like we might be missing that in the movie like some sort of a i don't know matriarch (laughs) yeah well i mean even just like a like a basic um oh i'm trying to think of the right term here but just a basic like a old wise man kind of character for ariel to kind of guide her through the strange new world and everything right i mean i guess it's Sebastian, but not really because no. it's all new to him too. Yeah, like, but you he's... could say Scuttle, but he doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> at yeah. all. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I just thought it was weird, but it almost felt like she pushed Ariel to finding a way to become human because she explained the only way that the love that she was looking for could happen. Mm-hmm. She was like, here, here's the handbook on what you need to do. And she's like, okay, I'll just need to find somebody to do this and done. done like, done, it done. just felt... Oh, it's a short story, so it was kind of yeah. quick. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I liked Grandma. I yeah, want more Grandma. I, I would have liked to to see her too, for sure. Um, now, yeah, another big difference between the movie and the book is that uh, turning into a human wasn't wasn't any sort of situation where Ariel could have fun with it. Uh, first of all, uh, the transformation itself it's described as it, the same kind of pain as having a sword ripped through you, mm-hmm. almost as if it's a metaphor for something. I don't know. 
Um, and, and then uh, Ariel takes a few tumbles in the movie. You know, she ha- she takes a minute or two to get right. used to her legs and everything. But in the book, uh, she feels like the pain of like pins and needles with every step. Knives and hot, yeah. Oh, like yeah. hot needles. Yeah, it's just like agony to even take Move. a step or walk or anything. But to everybody around her, she looks mm-hmm. like she's like dancing and walking so graceful. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool because, I mean, I've got a bum ankle right now and I can barely <laughs> walk across the room. I can't imagine like mm. feeling like somebody's like stabbing me but everybody thinks i'm like a twirling ballerina yeah but it de- if nothing else it definitely makes the mermaid in the movie feel like uh she has a much stronger motivation than ariel does because losing your voice is inconvenient feeling like you're walking on needles well, she lost and- her voice too yeah yeah but they i mean- whacked out her tongue but feeling <laughs> feeling on a if feeling like you're walking on pins and needles and swords and knives. Ah, no. Yeah, no, nothing. No well, and I thought it was kind of neat that she goes to the beach to put her feet in the water to cool them mm-hmm. when everybody's asleep. I was like, that's. Yeah, it makes sense so it's too. Still, yeah, it really makes sense. It's like kind of like Aquaman. Home. He needs to submerge himself in water once every hour. He, he loses all of his. Which brings me back to the stuff. earlier thing where people needed to go back in the water. But <laughs> <laughs> no, and also I thought it was interesting because you know the the way this the movie goes is Ariel saves him after the the shipwreck and then takes him to the beach and he sees her there singing to him and then it becomes yeah. about finding this girl. Right. Uh, but in the, in the book, uh, the prince never sees her save him. She drops him off on the beach, takes off, and then this girl uh, from a temple temple mm-hmm. shows up. And case of mistaken identity, that's which happens with Ursula in the movie. He thinks that the temple girl is the one who saved him, right. so she's the one he marries. But uh, so. It, it, Unlike the movie, when uh, Eric decides he doesn't want Ariel, it's for someone he actually does kind of love in a way where Ursula had him under a spell and everything, too. It was uh, not consensual. Are you having fun brushing your hair with <laughs> the dingle hopper? I am my dingle hopper. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you want to do a wrap up here with Okay, a... we can wrap up here. Yeah. Sorry. I'm using my dingle hopper. Totally fine. Okay, so let's just you know, we'll give credit where credit is due this was also your point but i'm taking it <laughs> um at the beginning of the book and the movie there was a lot of similarities like the statue that was kind of sort of but didn't quite look like the prince um the fireworks mm-hmm. um the saving him on the beach thing i thought was kind of really similar and then how he yeah. did the looking over the boat like they did mm-hmm. pull a lot from the book obviously they had to manipulate a significant portion because yeah. there was no pain blood swords i i thought it was interesting in in the book um i i forget where but they described the sun as like a purple dot in yeah. the sky and when she when she's swimming up from part of part of your world ah. up to the water surface i I think that's when she goes to see scuttle but yeah it's very much like a purple dot in the sky and you're like yeah they took that description that that happened right from the book okay and we're only going to be weighing in on the movie we wanted to compare them and everything but uh i guess it's time to decide whether or not it passes the wonder test for us does it make us feel the same wonder as it made us feel when we were younger so uh, amory does it pass the wonder test yes yes Yes. Like, granted, it felt a lot faster, but I can still watch this movie all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem. Like, sorry. You Whoops. didn't need that, right? Ooh, that was that bottle. Um, <laughs> whoopsie. Um, but it was, it felt like home in uh-huh. a sense, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ariel, Ariel's my princess. Like, she was always, she was my first princess obsession princess. Hey, there you doing, girl. There she is. So, how about you? Did it pass the wonder test? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's an absolute classic. It's uh, one of the, the second or third movie I ever saw in the theaters. Uh, the animation felt a little loose to me, uh, but it's mo- these modern eyes. Uh, you know, animation's advanced so much in the past 20 or 30 years uh, that it, it seemed a little loose, but it for the time it really wasn't. It was really amazing. Even uh, like the tracking shot around Ariel during a part of your world and everything kind of blew my mind even now. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I didn't have any issues with mm-hmm. the energy i was actually just like after our interview that's coming up later i was yeah. just like that was actually really good yeah it's just like a just a little bit like the facial expressions and stuff seemed a, a little loose to me but it was it was a fact and we'll we'll hear about this in the interview later they were just coming back into doing traditionally mm-hmm. animation right. so you know a lot of the old guard who would he gotten really really good at doing that facial stuff right they well, weren't there anymore so they were kind of reinventing right. the wheel a lot with this too uh but yeah and it you know the movie has great mu- music and even the sillier aspects like the uh, the chef's song and all that are done more artfully than a lot of the CDS uh, schlockfest uh, that get pushed out these days like yeah. Shrek, which I'm not a big fan of Shrek. I, no, he's not. This is not a ta- an attack on you if you are or anything. But, but he hates it. Yeah, I've been not a <laughs> Basically, big fan of, venomous hatred. Not a big fan of Shrek. Okay, before we get into the idea box here, Woo-hoo. we just wanted to uh, take a quick mention and let you guys know that we now have a Patreon, which Yay. is a great way for you guys to uh, help support the podcast. Or well, all of our podcasts. Yeah, really, all of the podcasts we do. Basically, what you do, you go, you sign up. Uh, it's, a, it's a monthly charge, and you know, mm-hmm. you can donate uh, 10 cents a month uh, all the way up to 50 or 60 or however much you want. I mean, as much as you want. Yeah. You're feeling crazy. And uh, you get different rewards for these. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, at 10 cents a month, you get all of my dog boy books and every podcast we ever created. Uh, Mm -hmm. For $5, you'll get an MP3 of us uh, singing whatever song you want badly. Uh, For $10 a month, I'll send you a horrible sketch. For $25 a month, we'll send you each a personal letter that we handwrite. Isn't there something that we sing? Can we promise somebody singing at some point? Oh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the five dollar uh, where we send them an MP3 of yeah, us singing. Yeah, the singing and all, the all podcast the, with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, all the way up to fifty dollars. We'll we'll we will record a podcast with you about any topic you want. And uh, we we've already hit a couple of our milestone go- know, goals. Our amazing. first two. Uh, the first one is a monthly hangout with our patrons, uh, which we're gonna be setting up soon. I think there's already a thread over on the Patreon if you want to weigh in on when would be good for you to mm-hmm. participate in that. And then also no more ads, so we'll never have any more ads on any of our podcasts. This one or Legends of Gotham or Greetings from Storybrooke or anything else that we may come mm-hmm. up with if we hit our certain goals. Yeah, like uh, the next goal I think we have to hit is $200 a month. Right now we're at 107 per month. And $200 a month, Amory gets uh, an equipment upgrade, gets a new microphone and a new Yay! camera. So she can look even prettier on the stream. It'll oh, be wonderful. Oh, you're getting me a makeup artist? <laughs> yes. Yes! That, Come on, people. I need this. That's the $225 goal. <laughs> uh, but you can go ahead. If you, if you want to go ahead and just check it out, uh, maybe throw us a, a shekel or two to help support us and you know help us uh, grow uh, uh, the shows and everything go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash universe box universe box universe box so what's universe the, what's box. Our, our next box Emory? our next box is hold on let me move the little box <laughs> uh, 
box. Little box to the, the big box. box. Idea box. That's transitioning beautifully today. Yes, it definitely. Usually, so. Yes, uh, the idea box. Now, this is where you guys uh, send us in topics, ideas, things you want us to talk about. Yes. Uh, as always, you can go to uh, universebox.com slash idea box to submit your ideas. And you can submit ideas for idea box. You can submit to- topics you might want us to talk about for future episodes. Anything you want. Just uh, throw it in the idea box and yes, we'll, we'll pull it out eventually. Okay. Now, the first question we had in the idea box this week is uh, what's your favorite Disney Renaissance movie and why? Emery, I'll, I'll throw this to you. Little Mermaid. Why? Because it was my first movie. It was your first? It's one of, <laughs> it was my first. <laughs> um, you always remember your first. Yeah, you do, don't you then? <laughs> um, it's just – it holds that special place in my heart. Like I – it, it was first grade. Mm-hmm. So this is how I st- like got into life. In yeah. a sense? Is that weird? No. Like, um, I think I was telling you earlier, there was this one time I was maybe in like second or third grade because we had the VHS, so it had to be at least a year after it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I was homesick, but I'd gotten in trouble or something. So my mom made me a couch bed and I was watching and I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, Ariel, I get it. I was like scream singing it to my dad who was outside. I was like, you wouldn't do this to me. Reprimand your daughters. Yeah. yeah. I was like that. I kept playing it, uh, rewinding and playing it again. I was nice. that kid. I was. So the Little Mermaid is like my thing. So there's Very that. Nice. Okay, I, as for me, I, you know, I, I'll probably go ahead and say Aladdin. Oh. Uh, just because just Aladdin uh, really kind of. Uh, woke up my imagination more than any of the other Disney Renaissance movies, mainly because of the rules surrounding the whole genie thing. And this yeah, is this that is carries over. Yeah, and it's kind of what kept me coming back to uh, the Aladdin sequels, like Return of Jafar and the TV series and stuff. Is just they created a really rich mythology with the genie thing, like you know, uh, with the rules, with the cuffs, and this, that, oh. and the other. It, it really, it really got me thinking of the various. The, the potential for stories to come out of the, that rule set, which, mm-hmm. you know, it was probably pretty uh, fundamental in me kind of getting into more fantasy worlds, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as far as far as uh, reading and stuff like that. OK, uh, next up is uh, what's your favorite uh, Disney Renaissance song and why? Oh, see, this is the problem when I don't mm-hmm. read ahead. Because um, <laughs> I try to be surprised. Um, probably be our guest. Be our guest. Yeah, it's What's just that? fun. It's so fun. It's so big. There's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it translates very well into the Broadway sh- or into the stage show. Um, yeah, I just like how there's all the different characters and all the crazy. And I'd mm-hmm. like to try the gray stuff. I hear it's delicious. <laughs> Okay, uh, as for me, you know, I'm I'm probably going to have to say A Circle of Life from The Lion King. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, just because well, one it's it's a re- really oh. good kind of kind of theme for a song or a message for a song and just the the animation for that opening sequence is just mind-blowing and spectacular and I don't I don't know, it might be one of the best animated sequences ever put to film <laughs> potentially. Huh. Interesting. You, you know, and it just a really good uh, instrumentation. I like it. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> um, here, let me give some favorites out of the chat because okay. there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah, we have some ideas um, in there too. We've got some a lot of things going on. Let's see. Um, there's a lot of Aladdin. Um, Amy's with me. Um, yeah, Beauty and the Beast for Patty. People sharing our Patreon link. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, Mulan, but the opening song from Hunchback. See, I, um, I think this will come out in the interview in a little bit. I haven't seen uh, 
much of Hunchback. I don't I've so. seen yeah. nothing. Um, one jump from Aladdin, Bells of Notre Dame, or one I'll jump, Make a Man Out of You. I did like that one too. I really could sing like the first five movies. Okay, let's just for for the rest of the episode, we're just going to sing songs from Disney movies. Hey, Jasmine. There you see her sitting there across the way. We she don't got a lot to say, but there's something about Okay, but uh, that's the idea box. If you want to go ahead and submit some ideas for us uh, for next week, you can go to universebox.com slash idea box. Okay, so now, uh, and this is a little earlier than we usually have in the episode, but we wanted to get your feedback oh, in yes. before we get into the big history lesson on the Disney Renaissance period. So, oh. Amory, why don't you show us what's in the box for next week? Look, we decided to move it so that I could function. If you've looked online, you already know. Ta ta, copy, 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 Yes, next week we're getting hyped up on coffee. Beans, grounds, filters, K cups, French presses, stains. If it's highly caffeinated, we're all over it. Tell us what you thought about the coffee the first time you had it. What's your favorite way to prepare it? Have you struggled with coffee addiction? No, no, never. I have no addictions. I don't know what you're talking about. Tell us about a coffee date that changed your life. Coffee, 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 coffee. Next week on Universe Box. Everyone channel your inner, inner Lorelei. <laughs> and uh, as Anne-Marie mentioned, you can go to universebox.com and we posted up the next 11 episodes, I believe, we're well, going to be Well, now it'll be 10 because this was the first one. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to check out the schedule there and everything. Okay. Uh, next up, I will go ahead and get to some of your uh, Disney Renaissance memories in the mailbox. Now, as always, you can email us, universeboxshow at gmail.com. Tweet us at universe underscore box. The Facebook is facebook.com slash the universe box. And the voicemail number, which we haven't got too many uh, for you. No, we box. haven't. Pick Crazy. up on those voicemails, people. Come on, people. Four, two, coffee, four, coffee, 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 coffee. Coffee, coffee. Four two four two seven four two three five two. Again, that's four two four two seven four two three five two. And literally, if you want to call up and just go coffee, 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 coffee. coffee. Actually, yes, do that. Definitely do that. Even if you're calling up for an unrelated reason, just do that right up front. At some point, yeah. Okay, uh, but first up, we have a letter from uh, Melanie. You want to take this? Sure. Okay. Hello. I've never listened to your or I had never listened to your once podcast, but I came across it this past Monday while browsing for a new podcast. I really enjoyed it and was very excited when you guys were talking about your new podcast, Universe Box. I was born in the year 1980, so Rainbow Bright was one of my favorite cartoons. By the way, you guys should do Gem and the Hologram. Yes! <laughs> Definitely. And Scream was my favorite horror movie of all time. Hello, you must be my sister. Um, <laughs> I was so excited when I heard you were doing the Disney Renaissance, the best time in Disney movies. I was lucky because I was nine years old when The Little Mermaid came out, and my family are all Disney freaks. So we went right away to see it in the theater. As a nine-year-old girl, The Little Mermaid was so magical to me. I still get goosebumps thinking about the first time I saw this movie. While we were all in the theater, me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, etc., my family was cracking jokes and laughing when Ursula was on. Obviously, as a little girl, half of the jokes went over my head. Uh, jokes and wit went over, went way over my head. So I got angry at my family and started yelling, how can you laugh at her? She's so mean to Ariel. <laughs> Which, of course, made them laugh even more. I'll never forget how my love of Disney began because of this. I went to every movie on the first day it was in the theater from then on until the emperor's new groove um that time in disney movies is probably my greatest memory as a child thank you for reminding me of this and keep up the great podcasting thank 
you, Melanie. Yeah, and thank you. Glad to have you on board. Welcome. Welcome to Universe Box. Okay, uh, next <laughs> up is Tim. Uh, it says, hi, it's Tim. I'm so happy that you guys are covering Disney as I'm a huge Disney ner- nerd. I live and breathe Disney. Uh, the Little Mermaid is uh, one of my all-time favorite Disney movies, and I love Ariel. She's always been one of my favorite characters, and until Rapunzel came along, she was my favorite princess. Every time I watch The Little Mermaid, I I just get swept up in the story, and watching it on uh, Blu-ray a few years back, it still holds up in my opinion. Uh, The best movie from the Renaissance. Everything from Ariel to Ursula just gets me swept away in the movie. Uh, My favorite song has to be Part of Your World, as it just shows uh, that Ariel's voice actress, uh, Jodie Benson, is the best voice that any Disney princess (laughs) has ever had. Ever. Ever. Elsa. No. No. Uh, (laughs) No. Don't you dare. We can't even compare. We can't even compare. You cannot. Whenever I watch this movie, I feel as though I am a part of Ariel's world. And you are. Thank you very much, Tim. All right. Next is from Nicole. Mm -hmm. The Disney Renaissance is so much part of my childhood. I was seven when The Little Mermaid came out, although I was not technically allowed to watch that um, on Everse. I don't know. Something about the Sea Witch. Okay. I watched it eventually, probably at a friend's house. The Mm -hmm. people as seaweed creatures still creeps me out. (laughs) Yes. Agreed. My personal favorite was Beauty and the Beast. I loved reading and so connected with Belle in that respect. I think almost every girl my age-ish did. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was something extra special about the lion king my whole family loved it jonathan taylor thomas did a voice yes (laughs) um i think i had disney magazine was the half page size magazine whoa crazy nostalgia that had an article about him voicing simba that i read over and over to google found it yeah and this is the uh, cover for uh, disney adventures magazine which uh, uh nicole by the way i was i was a huge fan of JTT, disney adventures JTT, like just this magazine in general and not only did it have you know great ki- sort of like a it was kind of like entertainment weekly for kids yes i and it also had a lot of really good comics in it like it had comics based on all the disney movies the the disney afternoon shows and everything like that i remember i think the first issue i bought it was issue number eight or nine it had dean kane on the cover from oh, well, of lois course. and clark but uh, yeah go ahead with uh nicole's story i just wanted oh, to that was, mention oh, that oh, 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 scrolling <laughs> Oh, there it is. Uh, there should be a photo of the magazine above just in case it doesn't stay there for whatever reason. Yes. Yes. Love that magazine. Anyways, we watched the movie over and over. The music was great. My brother and I would split up all of the characters beforehand and then say the lines with the characters. I get <laughs> um, side eye for my kids when they're trying to watch and I'm trying not to quote every line. Yeah, that's something when we were rewatching uh, Little Mermaid <laughs> today, like we were just like we're just like a half second behind yeah. like saying every line in this movie. Nice. Um, sorry. Um, that was kind of the end of the era for us my brother and me with disney we weren't really into pocahontas and the next couple um Mm. i don't even think we watched them i would have been 13 or so but then i did watch mulan tarzan and emperor's groove which came out in my high school years i think they probably did a good job of marketing mulan with eddie murphy voicing mushu um (laughs) the great thing about disney for me is that there are so many of their animated films that i loved as a kid that my kids also love many of them stand the test of time even with the influx of new cool characters big hero six highly recommend um thanks for the podcast Podcast. I haven't thought about Disney Adventures magazines in years. Miss stuff like that. Sadly, I've thought about it several times. Like <laughs> every once in a while, I go on eBay to see if there's like a big lot of like 50 issues of Disney Adventures I can pick up for really cheap. Nice. But uh, it hasn't hasn't quite worked out yet. But thank you very much, uh, Nicole. And a last up, I believe here. Yeah, last up is uh, from Anne. And Anne says, I know I'm really late in sending this, uh, but just listened to your once episode and heard you were talking about Disney on uh, this podcast. So if you're looking for people's thoughts on it here. 
here are mine. Yay! Uh, first of all, I love Disney movies, new and old, probably for the same reason most people do, because you can lose yourself in their usually timeless uh, meaning and reminisce about your childhood. For me, watching Disney movies as a child and now is a very different experience because of the language. Movies aren't usually translated into my language at all, so as a ch- uh, so as children, we usually watch everything in German uh, since we learned that uh, pretty early on in school. I rewatched all of my favorite Disney movies in English later, and it was very funny hearing the characters speaking with different voices <laughs> and not being able to sing along to the familiar songs at first. Which, by the way, yeah. if you've never uh, hit up uh, YouTube and looked up the uh, the translations yeah. uh, for, I think uh, the one I was looking up a few weeks back was the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Sometimes they even change like the melody a little bit oh, to really? kind of get it to match well, up to and match stuff. The words. Yeah. Also, a lot of the jokes are lost in translation, as are most uh, more subtle comedic aspects. For example, I found it hilarious that the swamp animals and the rescuers talk with southern accents in the original. So basically, uh, watching Disney movies now is a lot funnier than it used to be. Smiley face. You have to say the smiley face. You have to. Uh, the first Disney movie I saw in theaters was The Hunchback of Notre Dame. or Notre Dame. Notre Dame. But the only thing I remember about it is my ears hurting afterward and being scared of the creepy man who locks Quasimodo in the tower. My favorite Disney movie of all time is Pocahontas. I'm from a very small town. I guess it's so small you'd actually call it a village. And I grew up surrounded by lots of animals, playing in the woods and fields and climbing trees. So I suppose I really just love the nature theme of the movie. I don't know how many hours I uh, spent letting the wind blow through my hair and feeling like Pocahontas. <laughs> That's fantastic. Smiley face. Uh, but the movie actually helped me last year uh, when I was having some doubts about where my life was heading. I study environmental science and but asked myself uh, what the point of it was anyway. But when I watched Pocahontas during that time, I thought that as long as I helped to keep one lake clean or prevent one subspecies of beetle from becoming extinct, I'm on the right path. Anyways, that's my story. Uh, turned out a bit more corny than I thought, but we are talking about Disney, so I guess that's appropriate. Smiley face. Looking forward to your new episode. Best wishes, Anne. Thank wow. you very much, Anne. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. If you, if you ever get the opportunity to name a build beetle, uh, the Bill Meeks Beetle, I think. I think the, could, An- the Anne Marie Beetle. Uh, the Bill and Anne Marie Beetle. The Bam Beetle. Bam. Bam. Bam Beetle. I like it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, that does it for our feedback this week. As always, you can email us, universeboxshow at gmail.com. Tweet us at universe underscore box. The Facebook is facebook.com slash the universe box. And the voicemail number is 424-274-2352. Again, that's 424-274-2352. And you can also uh, check out, uh, we'll be making a post for next week's episode if it's not there already mm-hmm. over at the subreddit uh, the yes. universe box subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash universe box it'll be a lot of fun is there any uh, any more from the chat room before oh, we go into our right interview? now they're talking about tailspin there's some gummy bears mm-hmm. inspector gadget they're all just reliving their childhoods <laughs> excellent well <laughs> somebody's you know, probably got some cereal and milk going on i don't know excellent well you know what i think i think we should get in there with them and chat with them a little bit while mm-hmm. we uh play our pre-recorded interview yes uh, so yeah we'll go ahead and what's the last box Amory? oh the last box the last box is the phone box yes the phone ring, box ring, ring, ring. and uh, for the phone box uh, last night actually we called our friend david crow over at den of geek so he could teach us about the circumstances that led up to the disney renaissance and the decisions that brought it to an end it's a disney riffic history lesson in the phone box and uh like i said it's it's kind of long but we're going to come in there and uh, talk with you guys in chat and then we'll be back with our takeaways to wrap it up and everything so uh, we'll see you guys in the chat in just a minute and uh, throw it away to... To past Bill and Anne Marie. Yes. 
Thanks, future Anne-Marie and Bill. And uh, current Anne-Marie should show up here in just there one second. Am. There, there she is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're here uh, to talk about the Disney Renaissance, kind of learn about the entire period as a whole. I'm uh, so excited. I know. I, I love the Renaissance. <laughs> me too. And uh, the, the, the way we're going to do it uh, for this is uh, a couple weeks ago I was going through and I was uh, trying to find some information on it. And I found this great article over on Den of Geek uh, – Written by a little guy uh, named David Crow, who I ended up uh, bugging on Twitter a little bit. <laughs> and uh, he agreed to come on to teach us a little bit about the Disney Renaissance. How are you doing, David? Uh, I'm great. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah. Thank our, you for our, We really appreciate yeah, it. our pleasure for sure. So uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, start off? I think you wanted to start off ta- talking just a little bit about uh, your personal connection to, to this time period in Disney animation. Oh, all right. Well, uh, well, thank you again for having me. And uh, yeah, well, uh, I'll say when I I first want to just say that uh, I have an unrepentant bias for these movies. <laughs> I, I remember the first time that I uh, saw one of these when I was probably about five years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents took me to see Aladdin in the theaters. And this was a big deal for me at the time because it was an evening screening. And by evening, I mean it was probably 5 p.m. <laughs> to me, it was a big deal. And I have vague memories still, you know, standing in the line and watching the film and loving the genie and unwittingly uh, preparing to drive my parents up the walls by demanding we listen to the soundtrack <laughs> on that tape again and again. <laughs> so if your listeners recall what those are. <laughs> Oh yeah, some of them. <laughs> if our listeners don't know, they used to have the. It was magnetic tape. They would store sound on. It's like an MP3, but it comes on a cassette. <laughs> and you have to flip it over halfway through. Exactly, mm-hmm. to rewind it too. Rewind, or, or if uh, the ta- if the tape comes out, you have to put the pencil in. Wind <laughs> it back. And we're old. Yeah, everything was better back. No, but uh, <laughs> uh, kidding aside, though. But yeah. Uh, so I come to these films with a sense of nostalgia, but really I and uh, many others of our age group, you know, millennials, Generation Y, whatever it is this week, <laughs> grew up during a brief period uh, when uh, there was kind of a revolution happening at Disney. We benefited from it because it really only lasted from 1989 to 1999, which uh, I, well, it was definitely a confluence of events. Uh, I don't think you can really just credit one person or transition for what happened, but I tend to broadly categorize it uh, to four major influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the advent of a relatively strong animation competition in the 1980s, the turnaround brought about by uh, the advent of Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, and Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, to, to the corporate side of uh, the studio and Disney as a whole, as well as the success of uh, one non-Disney movie in particular. And the fourth and final, I would say, really is Howard Ashman. In fact, that last element you could... Op- you could call that the Broadway element is what I think defines not only the Disney Renaissance, but I think, you know, the uh, resurgence of uh, musical popularity with our age group in general in the following 20 years. But, uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, to, to go over those four points now. Uh, okay. So Disney wasn't a bad place in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Walt, Walt died in 66 and a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, the company had never fully recovered from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still made films, but there was a growing sense all amongst the board of directors that that was not even necessary. 
whether because the 70s were a particularly lackluster decade for live action and animation at the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Walt Disney Animation Studios in particular, there was a generational divide between uh, uh, the young guns coming in, cultivated by CalArts, the, and uh, uh, the quote-unquote nine old men who were legendary animators going back to Walt. And they were, you know, they've been sending their ways for 30, 40 years at this point. Right. So uh, in this era, uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios' fairy tale was 20 to 30 years ago as it went on because the last one was Sleeping Beauty in 59. The last fully-fledged musical was The Jungle Book in 1967. Oh, wow. So by the time the 70s were rolling around, we have films that you and I might, or your listeners might still remember with a sense of nostalgia, the Robin Hood film with foxes or the rescuers. But uh, they were not what I would call uh, the crown jewels of the studio, and they didn't see them that way either. Oh, no, so, like, uh, you know, if there if there's a shelf of Disney movies, they put those movies back behind the other movies. <laughs> there's a second row. Yeah, when, when they release them on Blu-ray, those are the ones that don't give any special features. <laughs> <laughs> no features to be had. No. But uh, yeah, uh, one of the most charismatic uh, animators during this time was Don Bluth, who on September 13th, 1979, uh, made himself a birthday present by resigning from Walt Disney Animation Studios, taking <laughs> half the animators with him. And I'm not going to criticize Bluth because the studio was in a really bad shape at the time, and uh, you know he went on and made The Secret of Nim, and he you know, made a business deal with Steven Spielberg, who was kind of a Walt Disney type in the 1980s too. So at Amblin, they they partnered on on the Un-American Tale and The Land Before Time. Such good movies. Yeah, both classics. Yeah, Yeah, they're both really good movies. And they were really embarrassing Disney because around the same time, Disney was making something called The Black Cauldron. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit before that, uh, before the Black Cauldron came out uh, in '84, Saul Steinberg, who was a board member, tried to attempted a failed hostile takeover of Disney. Oh, no. Split up the media empire because he thought it was uh, well. Roy E. Disney's claims he thought it was a museum piece. So Roy, speaking of Roy E. Disney, who was the uh, uh, nephew of Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. He uh, resigned the board for the second time in a form of corporate brinksmanship and used that to uh, bring in Frank Wells from Warner Brothers and made him president of uh, the Walt uh, Disney Company as well as CEO. And uh, uh, do you know uh, if his his background at Warner Brothers? Like, what did he work on over there? Uh, I actually am not as uh, aware of what he was working on at Warner Brothers as what uh, what brought CEO. He, what he, who he recommended to Disney, and who eventually came over was Michael Eisner, mm. the CEO of Disney. And he came from Paramount, and he uh, came with uh, and uh, his films over there. Uh, he worked on Beverly Hills Cop. I remember that. <laughs> and, uh, he had several. Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now, but he had several other hits at Paramount under his belt. And he was overseeing the film division, and he had done ABC Television before that. Yeah. And, uh, Eisner, when Eisner came over from Paramount, he brought a Wonderkin with him. He brought a uh, he brought Jeffrey Katzenberg to oversee the Walt Disney Studios as chairman. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, they these three men are really credited with the corporate turnaround of Disney from the top to the bottom. And this includes Walt Disney Animation Studios. And uh, I have to give them credit because I mean, when you look at what Disney was making 
before they came on, which was, again, The Black Cauldron in 85, which is an awful movie, really. It, <laughs> it was not the Lloyd Alexander book and or two out of five of them into an 80-minute film. And, right. I, I know I've never made it all the way through. Like, I, I, I've tried to watch it, like, three or four times. I made it, like, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I can yeah, never quite never make it all the, the way thing. to the end. But, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I remember trying to watch it after Lord of the Rings came out, and, you know, it, 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 <laughs> it wasn't something of the same ilk. Mm-hmm. No. But, uh Anyway, so Katzenberg uh, does deserve uh, some crap for the revolution. He made a very, very competitive, I would say very corporate, very Gordon Gecko-style environment at Disney. But around the same time, he, you know, we have stu- Touchstone Pictures, which mm-hmm. was releasing, uh, what, Splash with Tom Hanks and uh, Daryl Hannah. He had several other hits around this period. And, I mean, this is, you know, when Disney came back, but at the same time, I don't want to – Disney likes to romanticize her – Katzenberg at least likes to romanticize this. But, <laughs> I mean, at the same time, he, uh, he, you know, he gathered all the animators around for like a 6 a.m. meeting once and says, I don't – I'm not interested in the Academy Awards. I'm interested in the Bank of America Awards. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, he and Eisner uh, also moved the animation studio staff out of the building and to a decrepit, you know, rundown facility in Glendale. And, I mean, really, Disney's animation looked like it was on its way out in the 80s. I mean, Michael Eisner told Diane Sawyer in a 1988 interview that uh, they only make animated movies now because it's part of their studio's legacy. It's out of a sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that brings me to, to the third influence, which was Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spiel, or Steven Spielberg ha- uh, had a falling out with Don Bluth as apparently – a lot of people do. <laughs> but uh, Bluth, again, Bluth's next movie, I actually have a, a lot of fondness for All Dogs Go to Heaven. But uh, yes. Spielberg went on and uh, ended up making Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the classic Robert Zemeckis film. And I mean, it's a, you know, it's a combination of Disney grandeur and uh, Warner Brothers irreverence. And mm-hmm. it's the neo-noir because uh, even kids' movies were that for the boomer generation. Yeah, and I, I remember when I was a kid, the most impressive thing about that movie was all the characters were in the same movie. Yeah. Like it was just like mind blowing that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny were in the they same movie. They were all movie. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I still, I remember, you know, being terrified of uh, Christopher Lloyd's character and how he would put people in poisonous vats of chemicals or whatever it was. Oh yeah. And then he takes off the glasses and has the big cartoon. <laughs> oh, the eyes. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful film, but, you know, it wasn't actually animated at WB or Disney. It was, mm. uh, at least on Disney's part, they didn't have the facilities or the animators. It was outsourced to a comedian, uh, sorry, Canadian animator, uh, Richard Williams, who uh, supervised it uh, at an independent studio in London. And, uh, mm. you know, executives from Disney and Warner Brothers were, were flying out. But the point is, it was a huge hit. It made $320 million world, or at the box office. Mm-hmm. And uh, it won three Oscars. It was nominated for more. And all of a sudden, animation was something, again, that parents could go to as well as and enjoyed as much as their children. It was no longer a placeholder entertainment for to a lot of people. And even before this movie even came out, Disney saw the appeal in that, and they actually brought in many of the animators from London to Walt Disney Animation Studios, which finally brings us to the Renaissance, which began with The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! 
<laughs> little movie you might have heard of it. <laughs> little movie, maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, a big, uh, you know, a big part of it was uh, uh, animators turned directors, Ron Clements and John Musker, who also did The Great Mouse Detective beforehand, which kind of doesn't make the cut when uh, film historians talk about this. But uh, It was a good movie, though. I remember liking that movie. I, I, I remember liking it as a kid, and it's still, it's still very entertaining. It's, I think it works better for children than it. It doesn't really have the multi-layer appeal. But, mm-hmm. Maybe but, they should remake it with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> remake everything with Benedict Cumberbatch. Would it be better than Robert Downey Jr.? Uh, likely <laughs> very very likely but uh but one of the reasons i think the the big uh missing ingredient besides better animation and more animators more uh respect from the studio which also saw oliver and company make a lot of money mm-hmm. but uh what 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 the crux of it i really have to say is howard ashman and alan minkin who did the songs ashman did the lyrics and Mm-hmm. Uh, Minkin did the music, but uh, Minkin also scored it. But they can't, they literally came from Broadway. I mean, Ashman uh, grew up loving musicals, uh, Disney musicals. He had us, he always talked in uh, press the, to the press, especially about Peter Pan being his favorite growing up. And uh, in this period, he had just had an off Broadway success with Minkin called Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm mildly familiar with that movie. You're mildly I, obsessed I, I, I with that I might have movie. watched the movie version of that like 80 times when I was 18, possibly. I used yeah. to watch it every night because it's the only tape I had in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it, I, <laughs> the movie is terrific. The movie, again, because musicals weren't popular back then, was a flop, but it was a mm-hmm. huge hit off Broadway. And uh, after that, he did a Broadway show called Smile. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, starred an ingenue or hadn't featured an ingenue, and it played by Jody Benson. Oh, and Smile, but Smile crashed and burned in '86 uh, on on Broadway. So he uh, he was basically coming to Disney to reinvent himself, and he always talked uh, very openly about how he saw there being a stronger connection between animation and uh, musical theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are very artificial. You know, you're witnessing an illusion, and hopefully, you're just going along with it for the for the entertainment, for the right. magic. Uh, live action film generally attempts to hide the illusion, the artifice of it, which is why, uh, in Ashman's opinion, why movie musicals were not in a good sh- place then. But anyway, so they collaborated. Uh, they collaborated on this, and uh, I, I say Ashman wrote the lyrics, but he had a very uh, strong effect over the entire creative blood of Little Mermaid. He, uh, he, it was his decision to turn Sebastian from an English serving crab into a Jamaican Rastafarian. <laughs> it was uh, also he also reconfigured the entire story to fit a musical, uh, the musical formula, the traditional one, going back to at least Lerner and Lowe, I would say. But uh, basically, he introduced that concept of an I Want song. While there have been singing in Disney movies since Snow White, uh, often the older musical formula uh, had the story stop, and then there would be a charming placeholder, a song, and something to entertain the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Mermaid, the singing became crucial and uh, to narrative development and character development. Mm-hmm. So enter part of your world, which is an I want song because you have your uh. lead ingenue. She's for, first, you introduce the chorus girls, the, her sisters in this. <laughs> uh, and 
they, they sing and they're very boring. They just sing a funny song. But then, you know, then comes the uh, leading lady and she sits down and sings about what she wants, mm-hmm. what she dreams about. And in this case, it's a pair of legs. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the audience, you know, wants her to get it. I mean, it goes back to, you know, My Fair Lady or Brigadoon. And uh, Ashman uh, also, uh, this really set the standard for uh, what became the Renaissance formula. And he brought in he, did, he brought in Broadway talent like Jodie Benson to sing the role. And uh, the story is that her voice was so beautiful during Part of Your World that animator Glenn King, uh, he insisted to he had to create Ariel and he had to uh, animate that song, even though he had never really drawn female characters before. And hmm. he, he used... Uh, I thought I had. Uh, he used for uh, inspiration, I know, Alyssa Milano and uh, I'm going to say Sherry. Oh, I could see that now. And uh, and uh, Sherry Stoner did uh, uh, some of the uh, physicality for the role, a lot of it. But uh, anyway, again, this is why you can't really give it all to Katzenberg for being a tyrant, a successful tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> studio because he wanted to cut the song it didn't work at a test screening with a uh, unfinished animation and he thought it was boring and mm-hmm. you know ashman stopped him and you know that that is the emotional core of the film and mm-hmm. you, know, you also have under the sea and kiss the girl which would not have existed if you didn't turn uh sebastian into a jamaican crab oh yeah and right there that's like the three songs everybody if you like little mermaid songs those are the three right there <laughs> like yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, actually, uh, the movie itself, I mean, I remember because my older sister liked it, I refused to like it. And then, <laughs> and then I saw it again many years later. I'm like, this is delightful. Why, why did I why did I deny it? But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I actually I, I went to see it in the theater when it came out. I think it was like the maybe the second or third movie I'd ever gone to see after I, Top Gun and Karate Kid. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't realize that it was supposed to be or like or I, I didn't think think of it as like, oh, I'm going to see a girls movie. I was like, oh, they're finally releasing like a cartoon, a big Disney animated movie. And I'm going to get to go see it in the theater. I don't and, think six year old Bill said Disney big Disney animated movie. I think you're I like said, cartoon. I said, I want to go see this movie indubitably because <laughs> that's how I talked when I was six years old. It's still how you talk. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, at that yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is really where the formula began. I mean, they had one other movie that gets uh, grandfathered into the Renaissance called The Rescuers Down Under. Mm-hmm. Which was, it had a beautiful animation, and it it's the only sequel Walt Disney Animation Studios has ever made. Mm-hmm. All the, air, all the uh, less fondly remembered sequels were not made at the studio. <laughs> <laughs> like the rest uh, of two. the Little Mermaid, Little Mermaid 2, 3, I believe there was up to like 4 or something. Yeah, and to the credit of the studio too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, uh, after, you know, Little Mermaid, uh, the, the formula was written and that pretty much defined the Renaissance from that point on, including what at least the studio, I'm fairly certain, or the people who worked it on these movies considers the uh, crowning achievement, which is... Beauty and the Beast, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Tale as Old as Time, Song as Old as Rain. I mean, I, okay, I don't know if we're how you're editing this, but I can keep, <laughs> I can keep going at, this, uh-huh. at the Renaissance. Uh, we're, we've reached the point where we're in the Renaissance now. So, okay, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess we can probably just start talking about the, the individual movies then. Yeah. Okay. okay so uh, let's see here. Um, well, you know, uh, for, first of all, like, uh, I, hold on, I'm trying to trying to think of a 
A good question. You blindsided me. No. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, can can you tell us a little bit about how Beauty and the Beast was put together uh, as a package and everything? Because uh, I I know uh, you know it it kind of uh, you you mentioned in the article it contrasts a little bit with the way that Ariel was set up in Little Mermaid as far as how they presented the ingenue. Oh, uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, uh, the, well, in the Little Mermaid, uh, it was considered very proactive when it came out. You can watch Roger Ebert you know, enthusiastically talk about how progressive it was and compared to, you know, Snow White singing Someday Her Prince Will Come, a man she's never even met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very progressive. She uh, goes after what she wants and what she wants is a pair of legs (laughs) to meet a man. And uh, it it doesn't really uh, withstand uh, uh, serious feminism or scrutiny or (laughs) really any sort of (laughs) academic scrutiny. So they they did try and course correct this because uh, they then eventually made uh, Beauty and the Beast the – one of the intentions with that film was for the ingenue Belle to be into, you know, have an intellectual curiosity to be independent. Her goal is not to ha- meet a man. It's to have adventure, to live a full life, to not just marry the uh, dreamy schmuck down the street. <laughs> so it was, the, and that's why I think Belle's considered still one of their uh, strongest characters because it was a reaction to criticism to the Little Mermaid, which I think is somewhat, I mean, I, I think it's there, but I don't think it's as damning as some may say about that film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, obviously this is a few decades back in the past too. Right. So, you know, I, uh, attitudes have changed since <laughs> for sure. Uh, let's I, so, okay. So, so we get through, uh, it, Beauty and the Beast comes out, uh, I, I, another Huge. great book, great, great songs Amazing. in it. That does, Great in the box office. Uh, That's I, great on the Broadway. Uh, great, great with the uh, CGI and everything. And the next movie that comes in is Aladdin. And uh, you, you talk a little bit of, in the article about how how it was the first movie in the Renaissance period that was really based around a personality. Uh, Robin Williams, you want to talk a little on that? Okay. Uh, yes, actually. Uh, okay. Well, Aladdin. I'm not sure, uh, I don't know offhand if it was originally Howard Ashman's idea, but Ashman really pursued Aladdin. That was what he wanted to do next because, uh, uh, and I am about to answer your question, (laughs) he insisted that he did uh, Beauty and the Beast because it was originally not going to be a musical, and it had a different director attached. Mm. And uh, after seeing 20 minutes of it, Katzenberg decided it was not what Disney wanted to do. It got scrapped in a... Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise came aboard to direct it, and uh, it be and I do think you know they made a fantastic film. It was it's, it's still the only uh, you know, animated film that was nominated for Best Picture when there were only five uh, categories, mm-hmm. and uh, a big part of that was the music. And the reason I bring this up is because Ashman actually didn't live to see it. He uh, died of AIDS before it was released. Mm. And uh, the reason I bring that – so the movie, though, was a – and I do think that was a big blow to Disney and uh, this entire movement in its infancy. But uh, Oh, yeah, because he was kind of spearheading the whole kind, kind of uh, spirit of it, you know, mm-hmm. with the music. Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it, it's very tragic. And it's interesting <laughs> because when Beauty and the Beast had its premiere uh, – 
you have Roy Disney and uh, uh, Katz, Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner all giving speeches and taking credit for who's most responsible for it, essentially. But uh, <laughs> in any event, so that le- led to Aladdin, which was the one that uh, Ashman did want to make next. And some of the songs were already finished for it by the time it ca- came out. Like, I believe he wrote, uh, actually, I think I have this one down. He wrote uh, Arabian Nights and Friend Like Me and mm-hmm. Prince Ali, but you know, mm-hmm. one jump ahead in a whole mm-hmm. new world. Mm-hmm. The big ones were uh, Tim Rice. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason uh, I think the movie works so well is because, as you said, it is about the uh, genie. That's what I responded to as a kid. I loved mm-hmm. Robin Williams as the genie because speaking of another you know great talent a genius was uh uh robin williams who was a terrific i mean at this point he, he had proven he can do comedy he can do drama but what never what he was never able to bring into a film was his comedic sensibility to the full if you've ever watched robin williams do stand-up mm-hmm. for, for one thing don't let children watch that <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't, don't let like uh anyone under I'm not going to say, but definitely uh, <laughs> no one under 18. <laughs> no one in the single digit show ought to stand up, but it's brilliant. And uh, mm-hmm. what no, no film could keep up with it before Aladdin. And really he, the animator, he, the animators, he did not uh, really follow a whole script necessarily. They had to keep up with him and his impressions. And it's such an amazing uh, performance that uh, it really defined the movie. And I would even say it kind of laid the groundwork for uh, DreamWorks because when Katzenberg did leave uh, later on in the Renaissance, uh, when he left, he uh, founded DreamWorks with uh, Spielberg and David Geffen. Mm-hmm. And uh, at DreamWorks Animation, they tried a few Disney-esque films, but eventually he made Shrek, which is basically the whole idea of Robin Williams' genie being turned into an entire film. And that, at least that's my opinion, and that's uh, kind of the tone of every DreamWorks animated film ever since. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I I can definitely definitely see that comparison. You kind of, you kind of walked it through as far as the progression too. Like I always thought it was really interesting with the the genie though that. It, it, all of the comedy and it was so improv-y. Uh, yeah. Well, at the same time, the medium, uh, you know, it's not Disney animated movies is like the opposite of improv This is where they, you know, they'll go into, they'll send a team into a building for four or five years, throw out 90% of the work they do just to get that hour and a half movie, you know? Right. Where, so just like the complete opposite of improv. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it is a credit. Well, I mean, Robin Williams, was not even uh, only wanted to do this as kind of a gag. Or, uh, that's not fair. He 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 thought it was a fun thing to do, but he didn't want his name on the posters, and he wanted he didn't want it to draw a lot of attention to himself. And then of course, Genie is the poster, and uh, apparently that caused a falling out between him and Katzenberg for a little while. Yeah, he he didn't come back. I think it was like uh, the the first sequel. He didn't come back for something, right? Because of because of mm-hmm. the whole uh, hurt feelings over that and everything. Oh, yeah, exactly. He, well, I mean, in retrospect, he probably shouldn't have come back for the third sequel either, <laughs> but he did. <laughs> so Katzenberg was gone at that point, if that says anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. uh, um, uh, okay, uh, so uh, let's see here. So I guess that brings us up uh, to uh, The Lion King, uh, right? The Lion King. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, okay. Well, uh, well, yes, The Lion King. Uh, I'll say this: uh, Lion King was developed concurrently with Pocahontas, mm-hmm. and I actually think that this is uh, 
a little bit of uh, this kind of this is both uh, in my opinion this is the best I I would go ahead and say it's my favorite Disney film anyway animated mm. but uh, it's where really everything kind of fell apart as well <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. A lot, a lot changed at Disney behind the scenes by the time The Lion King was released in 94, and for that matter, Pocahontas in 95. Uh, the most tragic of these was another death, Frank Wells, who was kind of... When uh, I talk about the corporate figures, I don't people don't talk about Frank Wells as much because from all accounts, he was a really charming man. Mm-hmm. He was uh, the super ego to the just the plain egos of... Uh, uh, Eisner and Katzenberg and Roy E. Disney. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so uh, when he died, he died in a helicopter crash in 94. He was oh, actually geez. skiing with Clint Eastwood and they took different helicopters down. And uh, oh, wow. Wells has died or crashed and crashed and he died. Oh, wow. And, uh, by all accounts, uh, it hit Michael Eisner really hard because he was a friend, and uh, Wells did all the, did most of the administrative work, and that allowed Eisner to be a little less hands off. And he never did find a good replacement for Wells. He became much more of a micromanager. But in the meet, and that will play a role later. But in the immediate future, what happened was Katzenberg, uh, shortly after Wells's death, uh, requested the job. He wanted he wanted to be uh, CEO. He wanted to be president of Disney. And uh, mm-hmm. I told him, no, he and Roy E. Disney, I would say unfairly, uh, never warmed to Katzenberg because despite whatever people say about him behind closed doors, he was very successful. He has been successful mm-hmm. at what he does. But uh, uh, they didn't offer it to him, so he left, and that's when he did. He left right after Lion King became, you know, the biggest animated film of all time up to that point. But, uh, and the, uh, but I, here's where I think you can stop short saying that this is also why the Renaissance was, was in decline afterwards. Cause Katzenberg was also the one who gathered all the animators around, around, I want to say, I'm not sure what year it was, but he gathered them all around and said, he gave a big speech about how, uh, Pocahontas is, he called it West Side Story. It's a home run. It's a slam dunk. The Lion King this weird little experiment. <laughs> As a result, they were allowed to experiment with The Lion King. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so good. You have this really menacing score by Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. You have, it's very, I mean, it starts as almost, it started from the idea, I believe, of Cain and Abel, but it became much more Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. Very, yeah, it's Hamlet with lions. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the br- the brilliance, of, in my opinion, of The Lion King is it's not actually – they didn't try and turn – they did not give us the Disney version of Hamlet. They just uh, – they realized that, that it's Hamlet with lions. So you can pick and choose. You can have the uncle kill the father and the son go to ground and be forced by his father's ghost to seek vengeance. But you don't have to change the ending to them. <laughs> they all had a – Hamlet and Ophelia had a happy love song. <laughs> You don't have to play with, to the formula, and Lion King really didn't play to the formula, and I, I think it's terrific. And then, yeah, and it probably probably the darkest, uh, probably movie. the darkest movie out of this period. It, it, more, in I mean, classic Disney animation was a lot darker than lot darker. the Renaissance period. Like you go and look at like. I don't Snow know the Mali- yeah the Maleficent uh, scene in Sleeping Beauty for example uh-huh. sections of Fantasia <laughs> things like that super super dark there are like demons and devils and you know right. fire and everything like that and uh, it, it, it was nice to see Disney.
interesting kind of get back to that a little bit with the Lion King. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely agree. I mean, uh, Mufasa for our, uh, when I was a kid was, you know, the way people talk about Bambi's death or mm -hmm. I would say Old Geller, but yeah, I was really sad at Old Geller. <laughs> <laughs> Also, was part of you know traumatizing children. Yes, it really was. Well, it was. I mean, just having watching all the animals come down and just like stomp all over them. Well, you know, like, killing cute animals to traumatize children—it's the Disney way, right? So. It is the Disney way. It's part of the formula. Same parents, you know, they got two birds with one stone. <laughs> yes, no one gets two parents. But uh, no, not yet. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, frozen. Yeah, but they both died. <laughs> Oh, I got both of them. <laughs> uh, uh, let me ask you this real quick, and you didn't address this in the article really at all. I was just kind of curious. Uh, do you know much about the uh, the controversy uh, with um, the uh, oh, sorry, the Kimba the White Lion, the uh, Japanese animated film that had a similar plot to The Lion King that some people have said maybe Disney might have ripped them off or something. I'm showing a screenshot to our video audience, but. Uh, I think it's uh, quite possible. I mean, honestly, I mean, I know you have Kimba, which, to be fair, Simba is, oh, I don't know. Simba, Kimba, yeah. I believe Swahili for lion. Mm -hmm. uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yes, Kimba, you have the story of a lion and parents, and he's standing on a tall rock. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure animators at Disney, well, Disney Animation Studios were aware of this film, but yeah. uh, I can't comment uh, how much of an influence it was. Yeah. That, that's fair. And yeah, I figured if nothing else, I'd bring it up just in case our audience wasn't aware of the controversy. Because I actually... You mean like I, me? Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about this lion? But, but <laughs> when I heard about this, I went back and I watched some of the original, uh, the Kimba... Uh -huh. Cartoons, eh, pretty good, pretty good. So if you if you wanted, if you like The Lion King, see where it started. Maybe if it, if they Possibly, would admit maybe, it. maybe who knows? If Disney would admit it, no. But watch that and then watch Hamlet, not the Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Should recast that with Benedict Cumberbatch too. Stop recasting everything with Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, Pocahontas. Yeah, yeah. So so is as high as the Lion King flew. Uh, Pocahontas. Uh, Poca Pocahontas. Pocahontas. <laughs> Uh, maybe didn't do so well. No. So, so, what what do you think uh, Pocahontas really made Pocahontas miss the mark? Uh, well, I'll I'll first give it a compliment. I think the, the animation is beautiful, and mm -hmm. I think uh, Alan Menken's songs and his score again very beautiful. Not nearly as sinister as uh, mm -hmm. the Lion King. I, they definitely uh, trivia. They actually used all of the colors of the wind. Stop in, it in the movie. Stop. <laughs> but, but that's where really my compliments from that film have to come to an end uh, uh, I think a big problem with Pocahontas was that uh, uh, well again to, to compare it to The Lion King you can adapt Shakespeare without it actually being Shakespeare mm -hmm. uh, uh, conversely you with uh, Pocahontas you're adapting actual history and I understand creative license in fact I usually am a big supporter of it but uh, there's just something uncomfortable about how they've dumbed down the uh, Native Americans into these noble savages 
mm-hmm. who, uh, on top of you have, you know, the British, the English in this, are for some reason searching for gold in coastal Virginia. It's <laughs> from North Carolina. That seemed even stupid to me as a kid. <laughs> uh, but on top of that, yes, the Native Americans in that film on their apparent coastal mountains can talk to bears and talk to trees and the trees can talk back and they're magical and they can let the white man understand white guilt. And uh, (laughs) it's it's not a good movie in any sense. (laughs) uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. uh, I was just going to say, and again, the Lion King didn't really follow the Broadway formula or at least not in the traditional mid 20th century sense. And, uh, Pocahontas did, and again, trying to force a hat. The Little Mermaid, spoiler alert, in the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, she dies. She commits suicide to save the prince. I, I think you can get away better with changing that ending than implying uh, Pocahontas and John Smith had a, you know, a, a hat imply that they will be re, reunited with a happily ever after when he actually left her to fend for herself. Uh, abandoned by her own people, and uh, he had his men lie to her and say that he was dead. This was not a nice guy. Yeah, and she was fourteen. Yeah, and, <laughs> like she was a child. And uh, her her raccoon pal wasn't very funny. He w- he was actually kind of just dour and uh, rude. I really. remember the first time I saw this, which would I possibly be the only time I saw this. Was at the drive-in and I fell asleep. <laughs> I was a child who fell asleep to an animated movie. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I, and I also agree with the sidekicks where, you know, the crab in uh, Little Mermaid is delightful and you have uh, Lumiere voiced by Jerry Orbach and uh, Beauty and the Beast who's – you know, a scene stealer and even a boo and Aladdin. When you re- by the time you reach this, it plays, it feels played out. And mm-hmm. they have two sidekicks. I believe there was a pug in there as well. And they, the sidekicks had their own subplot, and I, I just don't think it worked really on almost any level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably, uh, probably the most uh, forgettable entry out of these movies for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know, I can't even say that because I've never even seen the next one. Uh, I don't think I've seen any about. of the rest of them. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I guess that uh, brings us into it. And this is this is another situation where you felt like it was a bit of an inappropriate adaptation. The Hunchback of Notre Dame or Notre Dame, if uh, depending on if you like football or not, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I'd agree with that. I mean, uh, uh, it, again, this was going to be their next, and I'm sure the studio logic was this is our next uh, Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday and Wise were back as the directors. The music was actually quite ominous and operatic, and music, again, is terrific. Alan Minkin once more. Uh, but, I mean, uh, it suffers, again, Lumiere and uh, I forget the name of the clock. All the Cogsworth. Char- <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, but they're 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 very charming creations, and they add to the story. Mm-hmm. At least, mm-hmm. it, assuming you like Disney's style. But uh, uh, be, uh, sorry, Hunchback of Notre Dame. You have uh, talking gargoyles, you know, as Quasimodo's friends, and this is a character who is well tragically sympathetic, beautifully sympathetic. He's also somewhat creepy and uh 
even to the reader, he's somewhat standoffish. You're not sure. He, I mean, he does murder people in the book. <laughs> and uh, for him to be palling around with gargoyles and, again, spoiler alert, Victor Hugo, all his books at the end of the day are about suffering, really. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just say Quasimodo dies at the end of the book <laughs> while practicing a form of a... Uh, I don't know if you want to call it necrophilia, but he was holding on to Esmeralda's body and lets himself be buried alive with her corpse. That's the end of the book. Cheery. Lovely. So uh, changing it to the Disney formula. Mm. Again, I think uh, Little Mermaid works with the change. Beauty and the Beast works. But uh, to jump ahead a little bit. Again, why Lion King, I thought, worked was uh, it it, uh, took familiar elements and made something very Disney, but something original with it. And around the same time this movie's coming out, Pixar is preparing its second film. And most Pixar films, I would say, take familiar elements and they reinvent them in a way only animation can. Toy Story is a buddy comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Incredibles is a family dramedy. Uh, Wally is a musical in itself, even though there's no singing and a romance. Uh, I think that that proves to be a better, I think that proved to be a more successful way of animating stories than just uh, adapting classic works of literature or history. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So let's see here. So, so we get through a hunchback. Uh, we have, a uh, then, uh, Hercules, uh, Mulan and Tarzan are the last three. So, so and this is when the Disney Renaissance period is sort of winding down a little bit. So, uh, do, do you have any insight as to kind of how all that went down? Uh, kind of, kind of like the end of the, the end glory of an era. days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say Michael, Eisner, who, again, he brought in a resurgence. Disney was, I mean, you had uh, Saul Steinberg trying to break up uh, Disney, Mm -hmm. and now, you know, he brought it back. But by this point, he never really found a good replacement to be president of Disney. Uh, He had Michael Orvitz, or Ovitz, sorry, there for several years, and uh, it was not a happy fit, and he was gone within two years. And then uh, he had Bob Iger, who you should know, the name probably because he's the current Disney CEO <laughs> uh, they, uh, as president. And I mean, uh, I, I, I actually enjoy Mulan a lot. Not, mm-hmm. not to get just on the corporate side of things. I think Mulan's a wonderful little movie if you, you guys have seen it. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. Oh, that's right. I have, okay, I have seen Mulan. Yeah. But that was for once upon a time. I was like, wait, I need to see. <laughs> it, I, it's, I think uh, the only, well, I guess Frozen's changed this, but I would used to say it's the only uh, uh, Disney uh, animated film that under, uh, can withstand feminist scrutiny and still not be found offensive on some level. <laughs> but uh, no, Mulan, uh, which was not even animated by Walt Disney Animation Studios in uh, uh, Burbank, that by this point they were back on the studio lot. It was actually animated in Orlando. Mm, and, nice. Uh, at a satellite facility that's now closed. And uh, I mean, I think that's great. But uh, I think it was just a misunderstanding of what was going on in the industry at that time. Because uh, Tarzan, I don't think, was very good. That's. Uh, <laughs> Really hate Phil Collins, so. uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like the movie. I really like the Tarzan levels of Kingdom Hearts, but that's about it. But uh, I mean, I think uh, it was a misconception uh, about what was going on. Michael Eisner became increasingly micromanaging these films, and he mm-hmm. really, uh, unfortunately for him, decided that he really hated Steve Jobs. 
Mm. And oh. Steve Jobs was uh, the chairman of Pixar. He looked at the success of Pixar. He looked at the success of DreamWorks Animation. Mm-hmm. And uh, his reaction was, musicals are out. Hand-drawn animation is out. And mm-hmm. all needs to be CGI. The last hand-drawn film, this is skipping ahead. This is in, in the Renaissance. It was Home on the Range. Uh-huh. I've never actually seen it. Home on I, the Range? I, I don't think I've ever made it through a trailer for Home on the Range. Because the main characters are cows, right? If I remember uh, correctly. Oh, <laughs> I don't even remember that one. Here, Anne-Marie, just uh, for your benefit. For my benefit. Pull that up. Jeff, Home on the Range. I've I've seen the trail. (laughs) All I can do is Home, Home on the Range. I'm just going to pull this up for you real quick so you can – yeah, this is it. Right here, Home on the Range. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember that now. I didn't see it. Not a great film. (laughs) Uh, So during this period – Disney was making before that they made a uh, Atlantis and a treasure <gasps> solidly in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those aren't considered part of the Renaissance cause they're not really musicals, but uh, they were, they, I still see the same downward slope you've been seeing since Pocahontas. And eventually you, or you have brother bear. And anyway, during the same time, Pixar is creating monsters Inc. Mm-hmm. and uh, finding Nemo, which unfortunately for Michael Eisner, he, uh, an email leaked to the board where he thought Finding Nemo was going to be terrible and not make any money or not oh. make a lot of money. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> it actually be, it made more money than The Lion King. <laughs> Whoops. But uh, so by this point, he and Jobs have gone ballistic on it. Jobs uh, described Michael Eisner as a dark, a very dark man. Mm. So um, that's you know Jobs was not exactly what I would call if you're being charitable you would call Steve Jobs very mercurial so for him <laughs> to, to criticize you uh, so anyway by 2004 2005 I'd say the most damning thing was well first off he forced Roy Disney off the board for the third time and mm-hmm. that meant well for whoever does it and uh, Bob Iger flew down to uh, Disneyland Hong Kong with Eisner. And while they were there, Bob Iger made a mental note he kept to himself that uh, all the characters and the parades that people were loving that were created in the last 10 years, they were all from Pixar movies. Not a single one of them came from Walt Disney. Uh. And, uh, you know, know, the whole Disney formula, you have a big animated film, Mm -hmm. then you have uh, the theme park rides, the cartoon shows on the Mm -hmm. Disney, the cereal, the toys, the video games. It's... What I don't you it can be either a wonderful or terrible machine, however you look at it. But the point (laughs) is, uh, it was only coming from Pixar in this period for 10 years between Mm -hmm. 1995 and 2005. Nothing was coming or most of it was not coming from Walt Disney Animation Studios. And as a result, uh, the Disney board finally pushed Eisner out. And Bob Iger's first priority was to smooth things over with Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs was threatening to take Pixar away from Disney after their contract was over. Uh. He bought Pixar and, you know, Jobs ends up with 7% of <laughs> the stock of Disney, which made him majority shareholder. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, and I, that brings us pretty close to the modern period at that point. And I will say you see a turnaround because uh, John Lasseter and Ed Catmull of uh, Pixar come in as creative agents overseeing all of Disney animation, including Pixar and Disney Animation Studios. Mm-hmm. 
start seeing a resurgence in this period with Tangled and On Forward to Frozen. Frozen, I've heard of that. Frozen? What? <laughs> somewhere, from somewhere. Do you like, want to build a snowman? Something like that. <laughs> no, but yeah, and I, I definitely think, uh, you, you know, uh, well, first with Tangled, which uh, honestly I still I, haven't seen. How have you not seen know, Tangled? Right? But, the child watches it all the time. <laughs> But uh, and, and you know then obviously with Frozen I I kind of feel and and you kind of addressed this uh, when you updated the article I think they, it kind kind of feels almost like we're moving into a new uh, Renaissance or I guess uh, the Disney Industrial Age or something like that. The Disney feminist era. We have Tangled and then you had Brave, yeah, which was big until Frozen hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean I uh, I, I reviewed uh, Frozen for uh, Dinner Geek and I remember coming out of this thinking. Oh, this is this is a wonderful little movie. Uh, adults need to know about it. How are they ever going to know there's this great movie? Uh, <laughs> it's played just as well for them as to children. And it's like the Disney Renaissance. A year later, I feel so bad for parents right now. <laughs> as you should. As you should. <laughs> I, I, I think most parents in this country have officially OD'd on Disney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely the, OD'd on it. Okay. Uh, uh, but, but guess what? Disney's already got the next uh, hit coming, the next fix with uh, the Frozen Fever in front of Cinderella. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot. It's yeah, only coming up soon, it's, right? Uh, the 13th, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, it's, a sh- it's only a short, but there's one song, so there will be less variety playing in, uh, uh, in yeah. the car. <laughs> all year round now. <laughs> and, and sadly, that one song is a techno remix of Let It Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave. It's David. like trying to let it go. But I, David, we want to thank you so much thank for uh, you. coming. Really appreciate it. Teaching us about the Disney Renaissance period. Uh, yeah, where can people find you online? Where should people stalk you online? Uh, well, I, I'm uh, associate editor at DinOfGeek.us, so I manage most of our film content. I write a lot of reviews and uh, overly opinionated essays and features. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I also am on Twitter at D Crow's Nest. Uh, the letter D Crow's Nest, all one word. Yeah, excellent. Yes. And I, I love the stuff you guys do over there on Den of Geek. I, I, I've been a reader for for uh, quite a while, and it was nice to finally get to talk to someone from over there. <laughs> but I guess we'll go ahead and throw uh, to Amory and Bill in the, in the future. future. I think Bill future, doesn't have a beard future, anymore. Future, 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 and you're right. I don't have a beard anymore. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, David, uh, for, for, for the Seriously, wonderful, wonderful awesome. uh, history lesson on, on the Disney Renaissance. And we, ha- we had a really great time in the chat, too. There were about, what, 10 people in there, something like oh, that? Oh, there's at least 10 people in here. Yeah, uh, we uh, explored the mysteries of Scotty Rowland's beard. And, yep, there's things um, in there. Rumor has it a pacifier was found this week. T- talked a bit of, and the author from Once Upon and a Time. And the author from Once Upon a Time is hiding in there. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun in there. Uh, definitely nice to get in there and chat because a lot of the times I'm so busy running the show that, that I don't get a chance to. I'm having trouble keeping up with them mm-hmm. lately. Yeah, I like it. We also had a couple things sent to us. I figured we'd show up here right at the end. Uh, first of all, Scotty, Scotty Rowland, at Scotty Rowland, a.k.a. The Beard Man. 
uh, has changed his uh, the wallpaper on his smartwatch to be the Universe Box logo. Which also, I was... that's kind of cool that you have a smartwatch. Yes. Just yes. going to throw that out there. It's the future. Our so. watches are smart. But I'm not. <laughs> you don't have to be because of the watches. The and, watches are. And uh, Amy, uh, at Amy1102, our good friend Amy P, uh, said, since y'all are watching Disney mo- or favorites, this was mo- one of my favorite books as a kid, and I love the film. And it's The Prince and the Pro- Popper. It's reversed there for some reason. I'm not <laughs> sure why, but weird. She took the I suppose so. I suppose so. But thank you, uh, Amy and Scotty, for sending that stuff in. And thank you to everyone who, who showed up in chat, too. <laughs> Elizabeth's like, where did the beard go? <laughs> the beard's gone. The beard is gone, Elizabeth. It'll be back next week, probably, probably. at least a five o'clock, 5 o'clock shadow. Okay, well, I guess it's time to go ahead and uh, discuss our takeaways our for takeaways, this episode. Yes. Uh, first up, if you grew up with these films, they're a they're part, a part of, of you. They're, they're part of you inside. They're part uh, of your world. Disney movies, they can be formulaic, but that isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's comforting, you know, you like comfort food. Uh, it's the circle of life. And it moves us all. And if you want something, sing a song about it in the first act, and it'll probably end up happening by the third act. <laughs> I want a million dollars. Someone like give me right money now. <laughs> I'd also like a bag of chips and, and a, a steak. Beer. <laughs> and maybe a beer. And some magic juice. That'd be sweet. Why we're not. <laughs> okay, but uh, thank you again so much for everyone in the chat tonight. As always, we record this. Uh, what was up? Scotty absorbed your beard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm way too easily entertained today, nice. guys. Uh, but as always, if you want to have fun with everyone in the chat, uh, Thursday nights, 8.30 p.m. EST at youtube.universebox.com. And you can find show notes for this episode and other episodes of the show at universebox.com. Now, Amory, where can people find you online? You could find me on Twitter at amdsimone. I also write all sorts of recipes and crafts and things at crunchycrafty.com. And as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Bill Meeks. Uh, you can follow uh, my my books, my superhero books, Dogboy Adventures at dogboyadventures.com. There's a physical one. And you can follow the two, two other podcasts we do, Legends of Gotham, which is about the Fox TV show Gotham at legendsofgotham.com. And Greetings from Storybrooke, which is all about ABC's hit series, Once Upon a Time, at greetingsfromstorybrooke.com. Well, I guess that's about it. Like, a great episode, Amazing a long episode. episode but yes. I, think, I think if nothing else, if you listen to this episode, you you know everything you didn't already know about, about the, the Disney Renaissance, Renaissance for Absolutely. sure. It's awesome. Okay, well, uh, I, I guess I will see you guys next week. Where we'll, where we'll be talking. So until next time, remember to think outside. Do not adjust your computer screen. If your mind were changing, stories set to a theme. Think outside. Universe box.